Grace, peace, and blessings in the name of our risen, redeeming, and returning Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. I greet you, beloveds, with Jesus' joy. This is the day that the Lord hath made. And of course, we are rejoicing and we are glad in the blessing of the day. Certainly grateful and thankful to have this opportunity to connect with you for another walk through the word of God as we continue in our study of Paul's letters to his spiritual son, Timothy, as we have been operating for the last few weeks and we continue to operate under the subject matter of lessons for the local church. I pray that this study has been of help to you. I pray that it is being beneficial to you to gain a greater understanding of not only uh, the church's assignment, but also the church's authority and the church's anointing. So I pray and trust that you're ready to dive in uh, today's lesson. We've got a great and exciting lesson to share with you today as we continue uh, through our walk through the word of God. But before we get started, can we take a moment and let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Let's seek God's guidance and direction as we walk through his holy word. Join me now in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you now telling you thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this privilege to gather together and study your word. God, we realize that even though the grass may wither, <clears throat> even though the flowers may fade, your word will stand forever. So right now, God, I ask that you would allow your word to stand up in us, allow your word to come to life to us, that as we teach your word today, your word will come to life in the hearts, minds, ears, and spirits of your people. As always, God, no flesh on parade. Let it be all of you, none of me. This is my prayer. In Jesus' name we pray and we praise. Amen and amen. Well, for the last couple of weeks, we've been walking through uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, his spiritual son, as he, in this first letter, is serving a church in Ephesus. And in this particular letter, we have talked about um, a couple of issues. We've talked about, first and foremost, the church's assignment to preach, proclaim, protect the gospel. Our assignment, our utmost assignment, our top assignment is to share the word of God. There's no getting away from it. There's no skirting around it. We must understand that that is our ultimate assignment. We must teach and preach the infallible truths of the word of God. It's a word that I remember in seminary that we must teach what is known as the inerrancy of the scripture. We must teach truth without error. We must make sure, as we will see a little bit later, Paul tells us that we must make sure that we study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that are not ashamed, one who rightly divides the word of truth. Last week, we talked about another key principle of the church, understanding the power, the purpose, and the potential that comes in having a prayer life, not only individually, but equally corporately, understanding the power of prayer as individuals and equally understanding the power of prayer as a church body. So many things can happen when the church prays. So many wonderful things can take place 
when the church prays. Well, in today's lesson, we're going to jump into chapter number three of Paul's first letter to Timothy. And in chapter three, in first Timothy chapter three, Paul is going to really spend some time making sure that Timothy understands proper leadership. Everything, everything rises and falls around leadership. The attitude, the actions, the atmosphere is centered around the leadership. Attitude is a reflection of leadership. If you've got good leadership, it shows. If you've got poor leadership, it shows. As a matter of fact, in the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs tells us that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. A growing church, a blooming church, a blossoming church is a sign of good leadership. Now, I'm going to say this now, and you're going to hear me say this a lot through the course of this lesson and next week's lesson as well as we dive into chapter four, because in chapter four, it continues that discussion of leadership. But I want to make sure that you hear me and hear me clearly. Notice that the word of God says that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. It does not mean, and please hear me clearly when I say this, it does not mean that when the pastor has his way or when the people have their way. No, when God has his way. And one thing that I have discovered in serving as a servant leader, I have come to discover that as a servant leader, it's not about always pleasing people. You're not going to make everybody happy. Everybody's not going to be happy with your decisions. But when God is pleased, he will make himself known. He will bless. He will strengthen. He will equip. He will empower. So we want to dive right in because in second in first Timothy, I'm sorry, chapter number three, we are going to see Paul deal with three important areas of the church, three important areas of the church. So for today's time of sharing, I want to entitle today's lesson, a third lesson for the local church is the local church must learn to love leadership. You must learn to love leadership. Now, when I talk about leadership, I'm not talking about necessarily the individual. Mm -mm, No, you must learn to love the power of leadership. Learn to love the potential of leadership. Learn to understand and know that leadership has its place. Throughout scripture, throughout scripture, God has made it abundantly clear that when it comes to his church, his church will not survive and thrive without leadership. In Romans 10, Romans 10 makes it clear. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach except he has been sent? As it is written, 
How beautiful are the feet or is the walk of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You want to see positivity? Make sure that you are following godly leadership. Now, as I forestated, everything rises and falls with leadership, whether it be the local church, whether it be a business, whether it be an organization, whether even in our families, everything falls around leadership. And that was God's plan going all the way back to Genesis. That was God's desire. That was the way God set it up. God set it up from the very beginning if I could put it this way, for Adam to be the first pastor. Who was his congregation? Eve, his children, and everything under his God's creation. All Adam had to do, watch this, was to do it like God said do it. All Adam had to do was to follow God's instructions. And because he disobeyed, he missed out on great potential. You can ride through uh, the Old Testament and see a number of folks who all they had to do was follow leadership. It was a gift from God. I want to show it to you now in a couple of other passages of scripture. Uh, for those of you who are following the handout, these two passages of scripture are found in the introductory piece of the handout. So I want to show that to you uh, very quickly. The first uh, passage of scripture is Ephesians 4, 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. According to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, the word of God says, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Now, we often talk about the fivefold ministry gift of the church. We often deal with that. We often focus on that. But the point that I'm trying to drive here in Ephesians 4:11 is not so much the fivefold gift or in my opinion the fourfold gift because truth be told, a true pastor is also a teacher. The two come together. But in real sense, what I'm really wanting to drive at is in those first three words, and he gave. Paul taught the Ephesian church that God and Christ gave. Leadership is a gift to the church. Uh, the second passage that I want you to hold on to is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. And uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, let's go there real quick. Uh, for a moment or two. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. English Standard Version says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, and various kinds of tongues. So in other words, here's the point that I'm driving. Point number uh, letter A under the handout. According to Ephesians 4.11 and 1 Corinthians 12.28, leadership is a gift to the church. It is a gift from God himself to the church. And we must be willing to appreciate and accept and acknowledge the gift that God gives to the church. 
Leadership is essential for the local church. No church can survive and thrive without leadership. Anybody who feels that they can make it without proper leadership is setting yourself up for a chaotic environment. Anyone who feels that they can operate without leadership in the church is setting yourself up for a chaotic environment. So we must understand that it is a gift. You know, St. James may have elected me to serve as their servant leader, but God had a hand in it. Because oftentimes people can elect folks, but if it's not God's will for that person, then you are going to see the chaos that's going to come. See, oftentimes that's why it's so important that the church must see the value and the power in prayer. Because when you see the value and the power of prayer, you would understand that we would pray before we even vote. Lord have mercy. We would pray before we even select a godly leader. God, send us who we need. God, send us leadership. God, send us a pastor. God, send us deacons. And I'm focusing on those two in particular because those are the two that are going to be covered in 1 Timothy chapter 3. In today's lesson, we're going to take a look at the two biblical offices of the church, the two biblical offices of the church. Now, your church and our church, of course, may have several other leadership abilities and leadership people, but there are only two, according to the Bible, there are only two biblical officers of the church. The two biblical officers of the local church are one, the pastor, and two, the deacon. All right? Anything else as it relates to officerships and leadership within the local church came from man. Amen. Trustees, stewards, depending upon which reformation or denomination you are a part of, come after there was a separation of the church and state. The church needed a legal representative to handle their matters as it related to government and government officials. Thus, the church, not the Bible, the church came up with the trustee. So please understand that the two biblical offices of the church, the two biblical officers of the church, the pastor and the deacon. So let's jump right in. Let's jump right in. If you've got the handout, point number one, uh, point number two, after the introduction from the handout, deals with the pastor. Deals with the pastor. Paul is going to teach Timothy as it relates to the pastor. Let's take a look at it in 1 Timothy chapter number three, and I'm going to take a look at the first seven verses of scripture. We're going to read um, all seven of them, and then we'll come back and have a little discussion uh, as we walk through the word of God. First Timothy chapter three, verses one through seven from the English Standard Version says this, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, 
not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit, Lord have mercy, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, there is so much in these seven verses. There is so much. There is so much packed into these seven verses. But there are a couple of things that I need to show you that the word of God shows me. The first thing that I want to make sure that you see is according to verse number one. Verse number one says that this office is a desired office. You got to have a desire. You've got to have a call. You've got to have a commission. All right. And watch this. Even if you have a call until your heart and your mind and your spirit are ready to receive and accept the call, all you have is a call. Do you understand that? That's why it is so important. Most preachers, if you talk to them, they will tell you that they went through a season of running from this assignment. I know I did. I can tell you from personal experience. Um, I ran from this thing for almost two years. And I, and if you don't mind, just let me make it live personally. Having starting to preach and minister at the age of 19, um, you must understand that there were so many other things that were impressionable, so many other things that were there trying to pull my attention, but the call was there. The call had been given, you know, and truth be told, once I came to a place that I accepted the call, then that's when God was able to use me and move me forward into the work that he had designed for me as it related to ministry. But it must be a desire. You got to want to do it. Now, that is a bigger, much bigger lesson beyond understanding the role or the call or the assignment of the preacher, the pastor, the overseer, the elder, the bishop, whichever one you choose to use. You must understand this, beloved. If the desire is not there in ministry in any area, it will show. If your desire to do God's work is not there, it will show. If nothing else, beloved, we must have a desire. We got to have a desire. No matter what area in the church you work in, you got to have a desire. You got to have a desire to want to work. You got to have a desire to want to serve. So that's the first thing that I really wanted to point out in this particular passage, in this particular place in the word of God. Paul makes it abundantly clear that this is an assignment. It is a desired assignment. You got to want it. Amen. Now, the second thing that I want to make sure that we understand, according to the teaching of Scripture, according to the teaching of Scripture, um, letter A under point number two, according to Scripture, as it relates to leadership, as it relates to leadership, 
The first thing that I want you to see is this. According to the teaching of scripture, the terms bishop and elder are synonymous as it relates to leadership. Leadership, all right? Now, don't take anything away from that. Don't add anything to it because I need you to make sure that you see what I'm saying. According to scripture, the terms bishop and elder are synonymous in relation to leadership. What do you mean, pastor? Here's what I mean. When you look at those two words, they are leaders in every sense in the local church. They may have a different level of leadership, but the word of God makes it clear that they are a leader. Now, let's take time to deal with it. In the New Testament, bishop means overseer. And according to Acts chapter 20, verse 17 and verse 28, the elders had the responsibility of overseeing the work of the church. Elder comes from a Greek word, presbyte, which simply means an old man. Therefore, when you talk about an elder, biblically, you are speaking of one who is dealing with maturity. Letter, letter B of the handout, point uh, letter B. In either case, leadership should be mature people with spiritual wisdom and experience, all right? When you compare the qualifications of the bishop as well as for the elder between here in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, you will quickly see that we are dealing with the exact same office. As a matter of fact, we're going, we've already read 1 Timothy 3. Let's fast forward a little bit and let's read Titus chapter 1. Just go over a couple of books uh, to Titus chapter number 1. Let's read verses 5 through 9. All right? First, uh, Titus, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Look at what he says. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery of, or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. The same qualifications that are found for the bishop are also found for the elder. So basically, in either case, leadership must be, should be, mature people with spiritual wisdom and experience. I firmly believe that one of the issues that is plaguing the local church is we have a lot of novices in leadership. Can I say it like I feel it? You just got saved two years ago. Three months later, God's called you to preach. Six months later, he's called you to pastor. 
uh, nine months later, now all of a sudden you are a, a bishop and, and here you are, hadn't even been in ministry two years and already you are an apostle. Come on, y'all. This is some of the level of problems that are plaguing the local church. What good is it? I read this morning, someone quoted, what good is ordination without training? It's one of the reasons why the word of God tells us that we lay hands on no man suddenly. We're going to see that in this lesson as well, particularly as we look at the deacon. But let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Because Paul, in this particular passage of scripture, in these seven verses, Paul makes it abundantly clear that if these men who desire this office of a bishop, of an elder, of a pastor, no matter what they desire, it is important that they are qualified. They must be qualified. It is good for a growing believer to aspire to ministry. Don't want to take that from you. It's good for a believer to want to preach, to want to pastor, but you must undergo a season of training and preparation. There must be a season of teaching. And can I say this particularly to young preachers who are perhaps maybe watching me? Embrace the season of training. Don't think that just because you got a hoop and a holler and, 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 and you know a couple of verses of the Bible from memory that you are prepared for leadership. I can tell you from experience, I am so grateful for my father and others who really challenged me, who told me throughout my early days of ministry, son, take your time. I, I'm like many of you young preachers. When I first started, there was a sense of excitement. There was a sense of zeal. But I, my dad always said to me, don't fall into the trap of zeal without knowledge. And he pointed me to Romans chapter 10 and said to me, don't be like these folks because they were ignorant of God's righteousness and went about and established their own righteousness. Anybody seeing what the local church's issue is in today's time? In today's time, we have not submitted ourselves to the righteousness of God. We have not submitted ourselves to scripture. And therefore, there's a whole lot going on in the church now that is not even biblical. I'm going to say it sad, but true. Church has been changed from a place of healing, instruction and holiness to a place of performance. That's what it happens. You know, we, we have taken away the holiness of God. God is not even the main center focus. Many, in many churches, it's everything else but God. And we are using, I'm, I'm hearing Dr. Gina Stewart and Dr. Otis Moss, who just recently preached on this. We are using scripture to basically try to rationalize what we are doing in the church. Meanwhile, the church continues to lose its influence over the world. We got to do better than that, beloveds. We must do better. How do we do better? We've got to bring the church back to the Bible. That's why Paul's teaching and my sharing this passage is so important. We got to bring the church back 
to the Bible. What do you mean, pastor? We got to bring the church back to true teaching and preaching of the word of God, true examples of holiness, true walking by faith and not by sight. We got to get a lot of the politics out of our churches. We got to get back to the power that really allows the church to survive and thrive. We, we got to get back to the word. Understand what I'm saying? We got to get back to the word. So Paul here in 1 Timothy 3 gives 16 qualifications for spiritual leadership. 16 qualifications, particularly for those who aspire to the office of the bishop or the elder. All right. To become a bishop or an elder in today's day and time is a serious decision. And it's one that should not be treated lightly by the local church. There are 16 things that Paul says the church should look for. And I'm going to uh, dive right in. Let's let's dive right in uh, to what Paul says. All right. In 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 verse number two, he uh, he jumps right in and says that the first qualification those of you who are following the handout, letter D, under uh, letter D, number one, he must be blameless, blameless. The word blameless simply means nothing to take hold upon. That's what it means in the Greek. It simply means that there is nothing in the life of the leader that Satan or the unsaved or the critical or the antagonist or the attackers of the church can hold on to to use against him. All right. We understand that no man is sinless. All right. No man is sinless. And let me say that right now. No pastor is perfect. No pastor is sinless, but he must live above reproach. The NIV uses the word above reproach. In other words, if there is an accusation brought against him, there is no evidence of the accusation to be true. See, we got a whole lot of folks who are quick to accuse the pastor of things. And we got a whole lot of folks because they don't like the pastor or don't like what the pastor is doing. Can I tell it like I feel it? Or they can't get their way or the pastor won't let them do what they want to do. So then they seek to attack the pastor and become critical of the pastor. First of all, let me warn some of you who are quick to attack and be critical. Be careful. Because your attacks and your criticizing of leadership is not against the leader. It's against God. And I can tell you right now, God will not allow so much of that to take place before he steps in. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I am trying to help somebody understand that we must be oh so careful. Why do you think the word of God declares? And we often say this. You remember when they sought to take the king's life and God spoke, touch not mine anointed. Do my servant, do my prophet no harm. People of God, somebody needs to tell the church that we need to be oh so careful about how we jump on bandwagons to attack pastors and attack leadership. You might not agree with everything your pastor does. You might not like everything your pastor says, but you better be careful about jumping on bandwagons to attack and a criticize and come against him. That's a dangerous game that we don't want to play. Amen. I'm not, I'm not talking about anybody, but I'm trying to help everybody. 
all right? He must be blameless, all right? Second thing, he must have one spouse. Now, this particular piece has been taken so far out of context, it, it means so much, but we miss the message that Paul is trying to say, all right? Number one, Paul is not saying, please understand, that only pastors are men. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not even talking about that a pastor must not be divorced or remarried, but he is referring to the fact that a pastor's home life, particularly his relationship with his spouse, is of great importance. Here's why. Paul's going to come back and say later that if a man or a woman, in this particular sense, Paul says a man, if a man cannot take care of his own house, how can he handle the house of God? Let me make it live. If my wife is not cared for, if my wife is not loved, if my wife is not nurtured, if I can't be prophet, priest, provider, and protector of my wife, how in the world can I be prophet, priest, provider, and protector of the Lord's church? I can't do it. And this is, again, another great teaching tool for young preachers. Young preachers, please understand, hear me clearly, your first ministry, your first ministry is your family. Amen. I want to say that one more time. Your first ministry is your family. Not going to waste a lot of time. Not going to spend a lot of time. All right. Paul here is basically saying that one who serves the church, one who serves the church should not have multiple wives. This is why Paul said this in the Old Testament. That was something that was allowed. They were allowed to have many wives. All right. If, if you would remember, that's how it all got started with Abraham. Abraham had not one not two, not three, but four. That's how uh, um, Isaac and Ishmael came into play. Remember when Abraham was married to Sarah, Sarah was of old age and felt like she could not have children, but she heard that God had promised Abraham a son. So what did she do? She told Abraham, she told Abraham, go and lie, go sleep with my handmaiden, Hagar and Hagar will give you a son. She married Hagar. Hagar ends up having Ishmael, and Ishmael and Isaac were at odds to the point, y'all remember what happened. When Isaac was born, Sarah comes back and says to Abraham, you gotta send Hagar and Ishmael away because Ishmael is not the promised one. Well, see, this is what happens when you step in and try to help God out. Anybody seeing where I'm going here? We must understand that Paul is basically talking about the fact that it must be of one spouse, one spouse, because we are looking at the leader's ability to manage, the leader's ability to love, to nurture, to care, all right? 
Let's move on. Let's move on. He must be vigilant. A Christian leader must be vigilant. The word vigilant comes from the word temperate or sober or to keep their head, keep a level head in all situations. In other words, a pastor or a leader's ability to exercise sensible judgment in everything. You must be willing, a leader must be willing to keep a cool head under pressure. He must keep a cool head. He must be able to maintain his own sense and sanity. Sometimes you want to go off on folks. Sometimes you want to say some things. Sometimes you want to walk away. But a leader understands that it's not about personal preference. It's about the spirit's authority. Fourthly, he must be sober. A leader must have a serious attitude and be earnest about their work. Now, this does not mean that a leader has no sense of humor. Thank you, Dr. Warren Wiersbe. Nor does it mean that he cannot have fun. You know, sometimes, and I, I'm, I'm going I'm to say this comically, but true. A leader who can't laugh is a leader who's already suffering. Sometimes you got to learn how to laugh to keep from crying in leadership. Sometimes you got to learn how to keep a level head. It doesn't mean that they have no sense of humor, but he also, a leader understands that as Ecclesiastes 3 teaches us, there is a time and a place for everything. This is one who understands the value of things and does not allow foolish behavior to cheapen the ministry or water down the gospel message. When it comes to the preaching and teaching and preparation to preach and teach God's word, you don't have time to play. Amen. Those who are around me know that I love to laugh. I love a good time. I love to have fun. But I also understand that when it comes down to ministry, those who know me and walk closest to me will tell you I don't play when it comes to ministry. Amen. I've had some folks to get mad at me because I'll bring correction quickly. And when I bring correction and I speak truth in love, some folks don't like it because it cramps their lifestyle. It makes them uncomfortable. Y'all, truth is not designed to make you uncomfortable. Truth is designed to set you free. Can I say that again? Truth is not designed to make you comfortable. Truth is designed to set you free, right? That's what the word of God says in the gospel of John. And you shall know the truth and the truth. Notice it. It didn't say that the truth will make you comfortable. The truth will make you free. That's what you really want. You want the freedom. So he must be sober. He must understand the value of the assignment. A true leader must understand that above anything else, they must lead. Number five, they must be orderly. Let me put uh, uh, all five that we've covered so far on full screen so those of you who are taking notes can take them. He must be orderly. In verse two, it talks about a leader being of good behavior, mm -hmm. self-controlled right? Orderly. This is one who is organized in his thinking and in his living. All right. 
It's also one that this word orderly or this word here is also translated as modest, which is found in first Timothy chapter two, verse nine, referring to a woman's clothing, modest apparel must be organized. You know, a true leader may have a chaotic situation, but can operate in what I call organized chaos. You know, I often think about this when it comes to study and preparation. When I prepare to study and teach to teach or to preach God's word, the first thing I've got to do is straighten up my study area. I just I cannot function <laughs> in chaos, you know, and I think that's one of the things that me and First Lady agree upon. I think that's one of the reasons why we get along so well. We cannot operating chaos. We got to have some organization. It's got to be clean. I even to the point that I have told folks that even in my office, things are where I put them. You know, our cleaning crew, when they come in to clean the office, I thank God for them. They do an outstanding job, but I thank God that they understood it and did not get offended when I told them, please don't bother anything on my desk. Leave my desk, no matter how messy it is, no matter how disorganized it may look, leave it, please don't bother it, because everything is where I've got it, and I keep it there, all right? So we understand that, that a leader must be one who is organized in his living, in his thinking, and even in his presentation of the word of God, all right? Moving on, Um, number six, He must be given to hospitality. In other words, a leader must learn how to love the stranger. Mm -hmm. Now, this is important because when Paul says this, he's basically talking about the fact that the church during those days were moving buildings. All right. Very early, the early church were traveling believers and they needed places to stay. So when they found this place where they were to go, someone had to be hospitable to care for them. If you remember, even in the Old Testament, remember the the Shulamite woman um, who had the prophet living in her house and she said to her husband, we're going to build a room. We're going to add a room onto our house. Watch this now. We want to add a room onto our house so that when the man of God comes into town, he'll have a place to rest. Come on now. In other words, even the people, the believer has to make room for the word hospitality. A pastor and his wife or pastor and his spouse must be hospitable, must be approachable must be accessible. It's one of the reasons why, um, even at St. James Church, beloved, some of you have often shared with me that you wondered how after preaching and exerting myself, oftentimes perspiring and sometimes damp and in some cases wet um, uh, from ministering the word of God, but still I'm gonna take time to stand there and speak to people and reach out to people. and, and, And hug my babies and let them know, you know, that's one of the reasons why. Uh, Because as a leader, a leader who is not accessible is not a good leader. If you are a member of a church and cannot at least reach out and touch your pastor and speak to your pastor and call your pastor and sit down and talk with your pastor, you might want to consider, 
are you in the right place? Y'all understand what I'm saying? Because oftentimes, beloved, true leaders, true leaders are able, you're able to touch them. I tell people all the time, I love greeting the saints. Absolutely. I love greeting people. I love for people to just come and talk with me. Sometimes some folks want to stand and hold a long conversation and I'm not trying to be short, but I realize that there are others behind you that want to speak. So I have to sort of move on and keep things moving. It's good to have a leader that does not mind being touched. Amen. It's good to have a leader that will take time to make you feel like you're special. That's what's important, all right? Let's move on, let's move on. He must be ready or apt, as the word of God says, to teach. He must be apt to teach. Thank you for putting it full screen for me. He must be apt to teach. He must be ready to teach. Must be prepared to teach. Teaching the word of God is the elder, the bishop's main responsibility. That, is, that goes all the way back to Acts chapter six, and we'll cover that. We won't get it today because my time is just about up, uh, but next week we'll jump into that when we start talking about the deacon. In Acts chapter six, that was the reason why the deacon was formed or appointed in the local church in the first place. Acts chapter six said that the apostle said that while the deacons were taking care of the members, we will give ourselves to prayer and to study of the word of God. Teaching the word of God is one of my main responsibilities as your servant leader, as your pastor. That's my main responsibility. I must teach and preach God's word. All right. As a matter of fact, that's that's why I often tell you that in Ephesians 4:11, it's not a fivefold gift. It's a fourfold gift because we must understand that the assignment of the leader, the assignment of the pastor is not only to watch over the people, but he must also teach the people. A pastor is automatically a teacher. All right. A pastor must be a student of the word and all that assist him in knowing and teaching the word. All right. Because a pastor who is a lazy in his study and preparation will be a disgrace in the pulpit. Young preachers hooping and hollering, tuning and crooning has its place. But say something before you say something. Amen. Say something before you say something. Preach the word. Proclaim the word. Be instant, in season and out of season. That's in 2 Timothy. Rebuke, reprove, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. If my preaching doesn't correct, doesn't celebrate, doesn't challenge, and doesn't convict you, I have not preached the gospel. Amen. There are four components to a good sermon. Amen. A good word from God convicts. It shows you where you're wrong and you need to make it right. It challenges you after it convicts you to get what you got wrong right. It celebrates you. It encourages you to want to continue to do right. Right? And then it corrects. It challenges. It corrects. 
it convicts, it celebrates. And as I look at the time, my time is up uh, for sharing today. And so we're going to stop right here um, at, at verse number two. We wrapped up verse number two. Isn't that amazing? We only got the first two verses in, uh, but we're going to stop right there. Next week, we're going to continue uh, in this particular study as we continue to uh, walk through the word of God and uh, gain more understanding and more knowledge about the assignment of preaching God's gospel, leading God's people, serving God's people. There is so much in this particular chapter that I must make sure that you have grabbed and you have a clear understanding. So I'm going to just continue to take my time through chapter three, understanding the qualifications of uh, the pastor or the leader, the bishop, the elder, and then we'll deal with the deacon and then we'll wrap up chapter three talking about the mystery of the church, which is going to lead us right into chapter four. But as always, beloved, as we close today's session, if you have any questions from today's lesson, First uh, Timothy chapter three, looking at verses one and two, two verses. That was it today. Um, if you have any questions uh, from that today, please leave your questions in the comment section. And as we see them, we will be more than happy to uh, share them with you. We'll continue this lesson on next week and uh, we'll continue to walk through the word of God as we continue to discover lessons for the local church. Now, as always, I would dare close this session without giving someone an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. What must I do to be saved? The word of God says that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you would believe in your heart that God have raised Jesus from the dead, thou shalt be saved. This is your opportunity. This is your chance. This is your privilege to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. On the screen now is some very important information. If you desire to give God your life, you desire to make Jesus your choice and want more guidance into next steps, want to know more about how you can have a closer walk with God. All you've got to do is pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have sinned and come short of your glory. Forgive me for all that I have done, all that I have said. Create in me a clean heart. Renew within me a right spirit. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for me. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that he died for me. Thank you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, beloveds, and you've made that confession of faith, you are saved right where you are right now. That information that you now see on the screen, I'm going to ask you if you would quickly grab your smartphone, grab your device and text SJMBC virtual to the text code of 84576. Once you do that, a reply box is going to come back asking you for some contact information. We're going to ask for your name. We're going to ask for a phone number and we're going to ask for an email address where members of our ministry team can reach out and connect with you uh, to know more about how you can develop a relationship with the Lord and above all, become a part of our ministry here at the St. James Missionary Baptist Church. We are serious about soul winning and we are concerned about the well-being of your soul. 
To God be the glory for this time that we've been able to share. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my will, but it's got to be the will of God that we'll join together again next week to continue our study of the lessons for the local church. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this privilege to share your word with your people. God, I thank you that I know that even though the grass may wither, even though the flowers may fade, your word will stand forever. And so now, God, I pray that what we have discussed today has been eye-opening, it has been informative, it has been inspiring, it has been an impartation to truth and reality. God, I pray that you would help your church be all that you've called and commissioned us to be. Order our steps according to your word, Lord. Lead us, guide us every day of our lives. We love you, we thank you, we praise you, we adore you now and always. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray and we praise. Amen, amen, and amen. Until next Thursday, beloveds, be blessed, be safe, and know as always, we love you all.